when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. We're going to go see dead people now. Um, see what? We're, we're, going we're, we're going to the cemetery. <laughs> I'm scared. Oh, have I'm you scared. ever been to Greenwood Cemetery? Okay. Yeah, we're, we're actually meeting uh, a friend who wrote a book about a bunch of famous whiskey distillers, like people that made whiskey, and they're all buried in the cemetery. Mm. So we're gonna drink some whiskey <laughs> with the the spirits. Okay. Drink some spirits with that, the spirits. That you know. sounds good. Sounds nice, huh? <laughs> am, I, am I invited to go to? <laughs> Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, and welcome back to a very special very freaky Halloween edition of Munchies, the podcast. Today, we're talking to the dead. Colin Spolman makes whiskey at Kings County Distillery, the first licensed operation to open its doors here in New York since Prohibition. He also happens to be an expert on the near-forgotten history of old-time whiskey production in the city. To celebrate this Halloween and find some ghosts of our own, He's brought me to Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn's Sunset Park. He wants to introduce us to a few of the dead distillers who've taken up permanent residence here. So why are we here? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, we're probably here because this is one of my favorite places in the city. Um, so this is Greenwood Cemetery. Um, dates back to... 1838, I believe, is when it was originally founded. Um, it's the site of a major Revolutionary War battle, um, but was really the first, um, what they call a rural cemetery, because prior to 1838, most people were buried next to the churches. So if you go to Trinity Church downtown, um, and when they ran out of room, they would just stack bodies on top. And so Trinity is actually, there's almost like 20 feet of graves of people stacked on top of one another. And in fact, there were so many bodies and so little dirt that there were outbreaks of disease. People would step through caskets as they were walking in the city. So it just became a public health crisis. And so taking cues from the Greek, uh, they created what the cemetery. That word was really kind of from this moment in history and prior to that, it was the churchyard or the graveyard. Cemetery was this sort of Greek concept of outside the city, you have this rural pastoral place where you can go commune with eternity and reflect. And kind of eventually this became, it, public parks emerged from the landscape movement, which started around cemetery design. So in the 1840s, 1850s, 
on the weekend, people would load up into the streetcars and come here to go promenade around the grounds as though as though it were the park, when, because there were no parks at that time. So Central Park and Prospect Park come after this moment. Um, so that's kind of where we are. <laughs> Why we're here um, is to visit some distillers. People associate distilling with Kentucky and Tennessee, but um, in fact, New York City and many cities around the country um, have uh, a history of distilling that has kind of been written out of the narrative by the Kentucky distillers, which have really only come to prominence in the last um, hundred years following Prohibition. So really before Prohibition and especially before the Civil War, we also think of distillers as this sort of, you know, southern gentleman sitting on the porch in a rocking chair, you know, sipping through a little snifter glass. But actually, the true history of distillers is that they were often um, Irish immigrants when people hated the Irish, Jews, Catholics, um, slaves, certainly, until the Civil War. So um, anybody who was marginalized women to a large degree, even during Prohibition, um, anybody who was somehow shut out of a mainstream, the mainstream economy for whatever reason, um, ended up embracing alcohol because alcohol was viewed as sort of sinful really up to prohibition even you know there are parts of the country where um, alcohol is still prohibited or forbidden for unmoral grounds so all of the people that we will visit today sort of fit into that narrative somewhat um, but uh, you know I think this portrait of distillers is this very sort of um, high culture figure in society is very deceptive and in fact through most of the time these were people who were really fighting against the mainstream and as a result of that they had really interesting outsized personalities and were total characters which is really what makes them worthy of paying attention to as sort of a special group um so any other questions well, <laughs> that was kind you... of a feel <laughs> it's good i, I liked yeah. it i want to drink now um <laughs> How did you first discover, I guess, the history of that with Greenwood and, and sort of mm. how you became connected, especially with the book um, and everything else? Well, I didn't know any of this necessarily. I mean, I kind of... So my background is I started Kings County Distillery, which is um, the first of the New York City craft distilleries. And kind of as a way to justify our existence when people were sort of you know, this is now seven, eight years ago, people said, oh, you can't make bourbon outside of Kentucky. What are you doing? That's crazy. But in fact, to kind of look into this history and say, actually, it was done here quite a bit before now um, was helpful. It is the history that we, that has not been written into books, but is sort of written into the landscape and by the stories on the tombstones and the people who uh, inhabit the graves. And so in a way, cemeteries to me are interesting because they're sort of the, the unwritten history but the physical manifestation of history yeah. let's do it lead cool. the way um, we're going to drive okay it's, <laughs> it's, I don't think there's any way we can go any other way but we, we have room so love your car by the way it's a, it's a good color it's very blue when I was in third grade we got to tour the Geo Metro factory and see how the Geo Metro is made. So, That's Hillary Pollock, associate editor at Munchies. Story with this car. <laughs> this is not worth <laughs> telling, but um, this is the same 
year of the car that I learned to drive on. So 2000, it's a, no, sorry, it's a 1991. <laughs> so when I was 16, this is the car that my family had. Not this specific car, but then um, when we started the business, um, we were getting interviewed and they asked us, how are you going to make deliveries? And we were like, <sighs> deliveries. It just hadn't occurred to us to think about that. And then somebody rode in after the show aired and said, I'm moving to Chicago. I have no use for this worthless car. Do you want it? And I was like, yes, we do want it. And so... <laughs> you guys should just jump in. I love everything about it. I love the matching you, blue. You take green. shoddy. There's, I think there's a nice little, well, it's moonshine. Is conveniently back here with me. Of, How did you know I like to drink moonshine? A couple little bottles Oh, and here. whiskey, I see. All right. All right, now we're going to kind of have to get a go by memory here, which... <laughs> May... Have you ever gotten lost in here? Oh, it's so easy to get lost in here. Because there are no straight streets, it was thought that the streets should reflect the sort of winding landscape, and that was um, a big part of... The cemetery design. Oh, we have a Revolutionary War soldier here. Wow. See him? So we do. <laughs> oh, wow. Like a living one, I should clarify, <laughs> in an outfit. Do people LARP here? Might be a pirate. Um, I think there are reenactments of Revolutionary War, <laughs> the Battle of Brooklyn, which culminated uh, on the high ground. So we'll, we'll head over there towards the end of the So this is the Pierpont Mausoleum, and um, uh, Hezekiah Pierpont was the first gin distiller in the United States. And this hill was actually um, artificially shaped to have a very picturesque um, view, or a picturesque sort of feel to it, which it, it very much does. So you can kind of imagine this would be a, a nice spot to ride out eternity. Hillary, can you read the inscription? Um, yeah, I think it just says uh, Pierre Pont, yeah. the name. And then on the side of it, says something else on the side of the sarcophagus. Um, let's see. Uh, born November 3rd, 1768, died August 11th, 1838. Yeah. <laughs> Should we pour a little out for him? Also, it should be noted, there's two men over there who are drinking beers. They're having a picnic, and one of them is smoking a cigar, which, like, <laughs> sounds like a great day to I me. Love that. I absolutely <laughs> love the, the bro date happening over there. <laughs> yeah. It's also, yeah, when I was in... I, so I went to go visit a lot of distilleries. I mean, cemeteries as part of looking for distillers. And I found that a lot. People would come and kind of, like, tailgate at the, at the headstone. <laughs> And it's weird. Cemeteries are just not... They're sort of public places, but people don't think of them as such. You're not allowed to ride a bicycle. You're not allowed to go jogging here. There's some limits on what you can do, but then there's other permissions <laughs> that also, sort of go unspoken. I mean, Victorian era, like, people would come and they would have a picnic. I'm... You know, it is very, very busy today. Most times it's just... I'll be the only person... The only, like, non-groundskeeper that I will see the entire time that I'm here. I love that there's literally street names. 
Gilbert. We think that this is the grave of Clinton Gilbert. This is the Gilbert family plot. We know that Clinton Gilbert is buried um, here in the cemetery, here in the plot somewhere, um, though nobody has yet found the precise stone where he might be. But Clinton Gilbert is famous um, in distilling history because he was actually um, served in the Ar Union Army during the Civil War and after the Civil War joined the Revenue Office um, to pursue moonshiners, bootleggers. Um, so leading up into the Civil War, there were a lot of Irish immigrants who moved to and all over the country, but especially New York City, the kind of gangs of New York era of New York City's history. And um, opened, many of them opened distilleries. And when, um, and there was no tax on making alcohol like there was in Europe. So if you were a distiller and you knew how to make alcohol, you could move to the U.S. and probably make a lot more money. So a lot of people came to, especially New York, open big commercial distilleries. And then when the Civil War broke out, they started to tax alcohol in the same way that they were taxing it back in Ireland. And that really infuriated a lot of the Irish immigrants um, in an area. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When there was a lot of conflict between the Irish and the Daniel Day-Lewis's of the, of the world, the native Protestant um, New Yorkers. So um, Clinton Gilbert um, was on the sort of hired to help enforce this whiskey tax. And um, they would send soldiers from military installations, especially the Navy Yard, where the distillery is now, um, into the Irish neighborhoods to go destroy moonshine stills. So Clinton Gilbert set out with a, a small group of soldiers um, to go break up illegal uh, moonshine stills uh, and stepped into a puddle of lamplight at kind of the wrong place at the wrong time and was shot through his groin. And he didn't die right away. Another soldier was shot in the hand. Um, both of them went back to the hospital inside the Navy Yard. Um, but the remaining soldiers fired back on the moonshiners. There was kind of a chase that that ensued and it's one of the few moments in American history when um, the army actually fired on American citizens. Um, Clinton Gilbert ended up um, dying of that wound the next day and really became the sort of first victim of what happened all across the country especially in the south and parts of Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia where revenue officers um, would end in gun would get involved in gun battles with illegal distillers. Um, the government got fifty to sixty-five percent of its revenue from alcohol tax, and this is before the income tax. So we're talking um, before nineteen thirteen. The income tax was actually passed as a way to lay the groundwork for prohibition, because the government would have no revenue if um, if there was no way to 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 
produce alcohol and tax it. So really, um, the the income tax passed, and then that allowed prohibition to go into effect much later. But people don't think of Brooklyn as a place where people were ever making moonshine. Um, we associate it with the South. But in fact, in the early era of moonshining in the United States, which is really just right after the Civil War, it was happening in Philadelphia, in Boston, in New York, as much as it was happening in Georgia and North Carolina and Virginia and Kentucky. So which of the stones do you think is his? So I would, it was always sort of presented to me that it would be this guy. Should we pour a little out for him? Well, let's save, let's save that for the, for the next visitor. I mean, Clinton Gilbert was sort of on the wrong side of... The tracks? Well, he was, <laughs> you know, he was kind of pursuing the distillers. It was his job, and I'm sure he had... Um, he was not necessarily a teetotaler or, or a prohibition-leaning um, person, but it was his job to make sure that distillers paid their share of the tax. So... Um, but the next person that we're going to go visit is uh, Charles Wilson, who was a huge distiller in Brooklyn, probably one of the biggest distillers ever in the country. Um, and so he, he would certainly appreciate it. So are you saying that you guys wouldn't be friends, probably? If We probably would have been in opposition to one another. <laughs> he was the tax man. So <laughs> making sure your all the barrels were stamped appropriately and all the, um, you know, that you were paying the fair share of what you came in. But there was a lot of... Um, cheating on the taxes, both in the part of the small-scale distillers, the moonshiners, but then also, at the same time, there was the whiskey ring scandal of Ulysses S. Grant's presidency, um, one of many scandals during his presidency. But basically, the revenue officers got together and said, well, instead of giving the money back to the, back to the government, why don't we just skim some from the Republican Party, let the distillers keep some of the cash. And so, while the bootleggers were sort of avoiding small amounts of tax. It was tax collectors at the big distilleries that were skimming huge millions and millions of dollars and feeding it to the Republican Party. So both the Democrats, who were the Irish immigrants, and the Republicans, who were the you know, revenue officers, were both cheating on their taxes and, and skimming money. Anything changed, really? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it is interesting, um, the the sins that people perceived in different eras. I mean, if you were alive during Clinton Gilbert's time, it was alcohol and slavery. Those were the, those were the problems of America. And if you were a liberal person, you felt like those were the solutions to everything that was morally corrupt in the country. Um, you know, now it's <laughs> abortion and, and homosexuality, but in 50 years it'll be something else and it'll be some other perceived moral i mean slavery certainly was a moral abomination but but prohibition which passed ultimately fell apart because it it made no sense and and prohibiting people from doing something is not necessarily the way to address the <laughs> moral complications of them so other famous people that are buried in the distillery, uh, in the cemetery, I keep confusing those two words. Uh, Samuel Morse, inventor of the telegraph. Um, Boss Tweed is buried here. Basquiat is buried here. 
Askiot is in one of those areas where he's kind of in what was obviously a former walkway. This is just a big long row of, of um, kind of modern headstones. So this is, well, this guy right here is Charles Wilson, who we don't know that much about him from a history point of view other than he had a huge distillery um, kind of in Bed-Stuy um, or, or sort of South Williamsburg. And he had a distillery that produced as much as a half million gallons of whiskey every year um, before the Civil War, which means before electricity, before cars. Um, this was a huge volume of uh, any manufactured product, but if you think about it being all whiskey, um, it helps understand that in the 1800s people drank much more than they drink today. So um, one historian estimated that per week the average adult drank 1.7 liters of hard alcohol. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's about right for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of that's drunkenness, terrifying. a lot of violence. Um, mostly it was men in the bars, so there was a lot of, um, uh, it was just a much more violent place. Uh, if, I mean, Gangs of New York is a pretty accurate movie in that regard. You just have to imagine that people are just drunk all the time. Um, so in a way, women kind of came together to push back against all of this drunkenness. And through um, the temperance movement came things like women's suffrage and prohibition itself, which was an effort for, in a large degree, women to reclaim their families and kind of... How do you think he took his whiskey? I think um, cheap and straight <laughs> was... I, I get the sense that this was not the top shelf that he was making. This was more the um, the cheap stuff by the by the multiple barrels. And in fact, there was a moment where New York distillers started getting priced out from the Western distillers, which would have been his protege, the, the, the distillers from Lawrenceburg, Indiana, which today is where a lot of the rye whiskey in the United States comes from, Bullet Rye and Redemption Rye, and a lot of the rye brands are made at that distillery. Um, so even in the 1840s, there was competition from um, this kind of new era of distillers that were starting on the Ohio River Valley. And those are the ones that, to some extent, lasted till today. Should we pour a tiny bit out for him? I think we should. Here? Yeah. Here, let me well, just... This is, his head is probably up here, right. and that's right probably his, his foot. Straight, yeah. straight into his mouth. Go for it. <laughs> That's that should be adequate. We don't want to right. yeah. living get more. We, of we need it just as much as he does. <laughs> yeah. Your whiskey does not taste cheap. Yours is very nice. This is very nice whiskey. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Just drinking uh, whiskey from a bottle in a cemetery. Can I give you a little pour? Do you ever get sick of drinking your whiskey? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> In, in fact, I wish I were younger so I could drink more of <laughs> my own whiskey. So this is the bourbon that we make. Um, so it's about two years old, made from New York State corn, 
and barley. We also have a four-year-old, but it doesn't come in little bottles like this. That's what I should have brought today, but it's it's a little... We'll have that over at the distillery. <laughs> I really thought you... I just pictured a four-year-old kid, <laughs> like, putting well, whiskey in a barrel for it. I also thought that was what you meant. <laughs> right. Well, he also makes he, whiskey. He yeah. Now, I mean, I have a, um, uh, a nine-day-old at home. And it's remarkable how <laughs> whiskey and children <laughs> are these things that you kind of, for the first long time, they don't do a whole lot. They just kind of sit there and percolate and, um, you know, develop their character in, in later years. And whiskey and children <laughs> are, are alike in that regard. And we did set a barrel aside the day that my son was born, hoping that we would be able to dive into it at different moments in his life and see how that whiskey is improved. So you have a new book called Dead Distillers. The new book is about distillers who have died, <laughs> sometimes in the line of duty. Um, otherwise famous distillers like Jim Beam and Jack Daniel and Pappy Van Winkle. So people you might know from drinking whiskey. George Washington and Andrew Jackson were also distillers. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a kind of character studies and biographies of people who made alcohol in the United States um, and in some cases who fell into vats of bubbling mash or got mangled in machinery um, or who became very, very wealthy old men so uh, or women in some cases. <laughs> I do have to drive around the cemetery. <laughs> you, you could probably drive off the road here and I don't think it would <laughs> cause too much difficulty. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, let's go to the just um, now. We're just going to kind of cruise around a little bit and just see some some of the vastness of the cemetery. Thank you so much to Colin Spolman and Kings County Distillery, Hillary Pollock here at Munchies, as well as the wonderful staff at Greenwood Cemetery for giving us the freedom to explore the nearly 500 acres there check back next week when we'll continue our Copenhagen Chronicle with a visit to Christian Pugliese's Farm of Ideas. Until then, get all of our delicious Munchies content over at munchies.tv. Hit us up at Munchies on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook too. And if you like the show, show us some love by rating it on iTunes. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll catch y'all very soon. And happy Halloween! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.